to move this down again today, okay? We're in our uh, great miscalculations and uh, mistakes, and so we're going to continue with this series tonight. <clears throat> we can go ahead and drop that. That'd be great. Um, I'll tell you what. I think we can just set it right over in front of there. I think you guys are man enough to do that. Oh, I know. I know. Well, I'm not having to grab it, so I wasn't worried about it. I wouldn't look bad. You would, so <clears throat> it is tough. I know. That thing weighs about at least a good 75 pounds between the two of you. <clears throat> yeah. Let, let, let me help you. That'll make all the difference, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. See how easy it is now, fellas? Oh, there we go. See? There you go. You got it now? Just thought I'd give you a hand. All right. Thank you. <laughs> he says thank you. All right. Okay, so we're in our, um, our, our study again, and we're going to continue with it. Uh, again, great miscalculations and mistakes, the book of Romans chapter 15 verse 4, and uh, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And again, uh, what was written aforetime, what was written in that Old Testament is in there to help us to, uh, to learn, to grow, to glean, and it's, it's very helpful because why? Somebody else made mistakes along the way. We can learn from their mistakes. We don't have to make our own mistakes, and that's a good thing. You know, you can learn the hard way. You can learn the easy way. Uh, either way, learning sometimes is a little bit difficult, isn't it? But nonetheless, it can be a lot easier if we'll learn from the mistakes of others. One plus one equals three. Well, that's how it turned out in the Old Testament sometimes. That's how it turns out in the New Testament. And unfortunately, in our own lives, it turns out that way, too, if we don't learn from the mistakes of others. And so we want to do that. Now, again, we've been looking, uh-oh, something went wrong, desperately wrong. That's not good. You don't understand how much that messes me up right there. But anyway, <clears throat> nonetheless, when I copied it to the file, it was perfect, I thought. But no, it, it's just the way it goes. I'm sure that Brother Buddy back there hit that on purpose and took that. See, I, what I tell you, I knew he did that. I know he did that to mess me up. Thank you, Brother Buddy, for correcting the problem. Thank you so much. Look at how wonderful it is now. Life is good again. The universe is back in balance. But again, we've talked about Eve, and we said that Eve believed Satan's lie, that God was holding back blessing. That's a problem. We can learn from that mistake, because we can do the same thing if we're not careful. 
Cain envied his brother and ultimately blamed him for his circumstances. He did not take responsibility for himself or his actions. We said that Lot made the mistake of thinking that he could get close to the world without the world rubbing off on him. He thought he could flirt with sin and still remain spiritual. Well, we found out that's not the case. Abraham grew impatient with God and took matters into his own hands. We take matters into our own hands, we get the same result, trouble. Next. Thank you. All right. Aaron miscalculated how, how quickly he could get away from God and made the mistake of turning to idols. How quickly can we get away from God? You don't have to answer out loud, but let me tell you, it's real fast. And you know, it doesn't matter how many years we've gone to church. It doesn't matter how often we read our Bible and pray. The fact is, is that each of us is very prone to slipping, to falling, and to ultimately backsliding. We've got to be so careful with that. And so <clears throat> Aaron teaches us to be very, very careful. Korah, in his pride, made the mistake of opposing God's man. Moses' mistake was that he led his let his anger get the best of him, and he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. Samson made a tremendous mistake. He had, he had lost sight of the source of his power, which was God. His miscalculation, he'd go out as before. Well, we know that when he went out as before, uh, it didn't work out quite as well as he had anticipated and planned. Now, number nine, <clears throat> Israel made the mistake of asking not counsel at the mouth of the Lord, and they miscalculated the enemy's desire and ability to deceive. Satan is in the business of deceiving God's people. And he is in the business of deceiving you and your family, trying to wreck and ruin your life, wreck and ruin my life. And the fact is, we better seek counsel at the mouth of the Lord. We better get on our knees. We better beg God to give us insight, understanding. Now, with that said, <clears throat> we move to our next one. We're going to begin talking today, very briefly, about Jephthah. Jephthah, of course, we talked about a few weeks ago in a message where we mentioned a few things about Jephthah. Take your Bible, look over the book of Judges, chapter 11, if you would. We'll go there, and we're not going to necessarily read right yet. We're going to kind of go through this little outline that I put together and, and just kind of read through it that way so we don't have to waste time reading it and then reading it again. <clears throat> now, Jephthah, of course, we know, uh, was um, uh, born of a harlot, and we know that uh, his brothers were not very happy with him, uh, stepbrothers, I would say. They were stepbrothers, and ultimately they removed him, kicked him out of the home, and uh, he flees and leaves. And next thing you know, Judah's, uh, I mean, uh, Israel's in a mess with uh, Ammon, the people of Ammon. And now all of a sudden Israel's calling Jephthah, who had put together basically kind of a band of men, and saying, oh, will you come please help us? Please deliver us from Ammon. They're attacking, they're going to attack us. They're going to harm us. They're going to hurt us. And Jephthah's like, hey, what are you talking about, man? You guys kicked me out of here. And now you want me to come back and you want me to deliver you? You want me to protect you? I mean, I don't get it. You know, you kicked me out, remember? Before it's over with, uh, he's saying, now, if I come back, you're going to let me rule and reign over you, right? You're going to give me leadership over you. And they said, oh, yeah, by all means, man. We just, we just, our lives are at stake here. Whatever it takes, you know, let's get the job done. And so he comes on back home and they agree to allow him to rule over them. And so Jephthah's now there in Israel. He's going to help them out as Ammonites are going to try to destroy and, and ruin them and wreck them and abolish them completely from the face of the earth. Now, Judges chapter 11, we start in verse 27. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to notice just a couple of verses here today. Chapter 11, verse 27, verse 28. The Bible simply says, Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou dost doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord the judge be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. 
Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. So what we have here is we have a visit being made by uh, some representatives of Jephthah's on behalf of Israel, going to the king of Ammon, talking to him, trying to settle this peacefully, trying to deal with the situation without battle, without war. But unfortunately, the king of Ammon's not listening. He's not listening. We notice now that there's going to be war in Israel. But I want you to notice in verse 30, we continue reading, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, again, Jephthah makes a vow. And in this particular vow, he says, The first thing that comes out of the door of my house, when I return victoriously, will be offered unto the Lord, a burnt sacrifice. Okay? He makes a vow to God. And so, we see the vow. Now, I want you to note the victory in verse 32. God hears the prayer of Jephthah. God hears the prayer of the people of God, and he delivers them. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aror, even until uh, thou come to Minneth, even twenty cities, and under the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Now again, notice here the victory. God does exactly what he promised to do. He gives them victory. So we see the visit. They wouldn't hear anything of this peace treaty. They wanted nothing to do with it. Ammon says, no, that's all right. You guys have treated us bad in the past. Remember before when they came out of Israel and they said, can we go through your land? Ammon said, no, you ain't going through our land. And so Israel eventually just went ahead and wiped them out and took over their land. And they said, well, you stole our land before. He said, no, we didn't steal your land. God gave us your land. And so he said, we're not going to do anything for you, Jephthah and Israel. We're, as a matter of fact, we're just going to come destroy you, annihilate you. Well, the vow, hey, God, you deliver those people into my hands. First thing comes out of my, the door of my house, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to sacrifice it unto you. The battle, victory is given. Now, all of a sudden, we have a victor. And Jephthah leads the people of God to victory. So here he is on his way home now. I want you to note the vexation. Verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter! Thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And notice his heart's breaking now. Why? His daughter's the first thing that comes forth from the door to greet him after the victory. He had made a vow to God. God had given the victory. And now he goes back home, and the first one that comes forth through the door, his only daughter. His only daughter. Now, I want you to notice the verdict. Verse 36. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. Going on, verse 39. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did her uh, with her according to his vow. 
And she had vowed. And she knew no man. It was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. There you go. That sounds rather interesting, doesn't it? We have the story, or we have the account of Jephthah, a man who was the black sheep of the family, who ultimately removed from his home, goes and lives in a foreign land, called back up by Israel, who says, we need you to fight on our behalf. He comes back and says, I'll only fight if you make me ruler. They said, that'll be fine. He then makes a vow to God, if you will give me victory, the first thing comes through my door, when I return in victory, I will give you as a burnt sacrifice. The first thing that comes through the door after victory is his only daughter. And she says, Daddy, <clears throat> you made a vow to God. You keep it. You keep it. God gave you vengeance over your enemies. Keep it. Give me a couple months. I'll be back. She sacrificed a virgin. That's what the Bible says. Now, here we go. We're going to have a question. The Bible book says in the book of Judges again, he vowed the vow. If thou will fail, deliver. And of course, what came out the doors? The daughter. So did he offer his daughter as a burnt offering? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Did he lay her on an altar? Did he offer her burnt offering? Well, there's two trains of thought. Number one, the first one is that Jephthah fulfilled his vow. That he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Human sacrifice was clearly a violation of the law. Without a doubt. That's not something God ever intended to happen. God never wanted that to take place. It was a violation of divine law. However, let's just be honest. It wouldn't be the first time someone violated God's law. You know, some people say, well, that was a violation of God's divine law, so therefore, there's no way in the world that Jephthah would have been permitted by God to do that. Let me ask you, when's the last time you broke one of God's laws? God ever let you do break his laws? I'm just kind of curious. Because if he lets you break his laws, why wouldn't he let Jephthah? You say, but God would never demand his daughter. That would never, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about God right now. What we're dealing with is a man. We're dealing with a man. Okay, so... That's one thought. If he did sacrifice her, he was wrong, right? I mean, that'd be clear. I mean, he shouldn't sacrifice his daughter. Some have said that Jephthah didn't sacrifice his daughter at all, but instead he argued uh, that the argument is that he devoted her to perpetual virginity. She'd never marry. She'd serve the Lord Jesus, serve the Lord Jehovah God. The remainder of her life, she would be given fully, completely to the service of God. And that's, that's what some say. Okay? What do you think? Interesting, isn't it? You say, well, what do you think, preacher? Well, I'll be honest with you. When I read the Bible, it seems that number one fits. To me. Now, again, I'm just basing on what I read. I can try to... I mean, again, someone says, well, what if you're wrong? Okay, I hope I was wrong. I hope I am wrong. I hope she didn't die. I hope she lived. But the fact is that biblically and scripturally... It sounds to me like, exact, I mean, if I read it if, it, if it means what it says and says what it means, he took her life. He sacrificed her. What are we to learn either way? That's the real issue, isn't it? Someone says, this is a horrible Bible we have. 
You know, how in the world could we ever love a God who would allow that to take place? Are you kidding me? You see what's going on in our world now? That's nothing compared to what's going on in our world now. now I'm not saying it's not important, but, but, I mean, God is very gracious. He allows us to do things all the time. That, that It's all a result of His grace. Result of His grace. Man, just the things that I think and that I do are all God's grace. The fact that He doesn't come today and, and take us all out is just His grace again, that He's extending an opportunity to people who are lost to be saved. In the midst of a world that is so upside down, and he still allows. And so, uh, he, I'm glad that every time I sin against God, he doesn't, you know, take me out. So, he's very gracious. Now, again, you can have your own, you think whatever you want, too. You, you study it out. You figure it out. But, but I would lean, personally, toward number one. Now, what do we learn, then, is this. We learn from this very hasty man very hasty, to think before we speak. That's what we, we learned that lesson, especially when it comes to making a vow. You better think before you speak. If there was one problem that Jephthah made in that situation, that transaction, he didn't think about what he said. He just went and said something. Man, Lord, you give me victory over the Ammonites. I'll give you as a Burnt sacrifice, the first thing that meets me or greets me through the door of my home. Do you ever think it might be your daughter, Jephthah? Well, not at the time. I just wasn't thinking. That's the problem. You made a vow without thinking. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Wait a second. Did God say that or did I? God just said that if we make a vow to him and we defer to pay it, we're fools. That's what he said. I didn't say it. Don't say I called you a name. Now, first of all, you know, hopefully you don't defer to, to, to pay your vows. But nonetheless, he says, he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed, he says. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow a, and not pay. Jephthah would have been better off to just shut his mouth. He'd have been better off just to say, God, give us victory. Amen. But he made a vow. Someone says, well, still, should he have had to keep that vow? Listen, I don't think God ever intended that somebody be sacrificed. I think if I was Jephthah, I'd have, I'd have bit the bullet and said, God, you want someone's life, you take mine, but I'm not taking my daughter's. I wouldn't have killed my daughter for a vow I made to God. Not when I know it's unscriptural. Not when I know it wasn't what God intended. I wouldn't have done it. Maybe you would, but I wouldn't. I'd have said, God, guess what? You want, my you want me? Take me. But listen, Jephthah, you've got to understand. Jephthah wasn't just a Mr. Goody Two-Shoes here, folks. You know, we look at Jephthah sometimes because he's in the Bible and because he delivered Israel that he was some kind of real godly, perfect person. No, he's probably a person like you and I. He had his faults. He had his misgivings. Matter of fact, he had fled from Israel. He had even had a chip on his shoulder. He didn't even like Israel for the longest time, and he didn't like the people of God. But God called him back. God used that man to deliver his people. Why? Because there wasn't a man in Israel that was man enough to do the job. It's sad when God's got to go outside of his people to find somebody to do the work that he wants done. Isn't it pitiful? It's just, I mean... What are we talking about? We talk about Deborah, the great judge of Israel. God only used Deborah because there wasn't a man man enough to step up and do the job. 
wasn't because he wants to use women to judge or he wants to use women to take leadership roles in the, in the nation in, that, in Israel. He wanted a man to step up, but there was no men to step up. So what did God do? He used what he had available. And a woman said, I'll be there and I'll do it. And you know what? A lot of you ladies in this room have stepped up when your husbands didn't. A lot of you ladies have stepped up when there wasn't a man to take care of business. You said, I'll be the spiritual leader. I'll be the guide. I'll do the work. I'll take care of the business, God. If you'll use me, I'll be in that place. And he said, okay. Not because he wants it to be that way. Not because that's his goal. Not because that's not his great desire. He wants men to step up. But if a man won't, God will let the woman take charge of that. It happens all the time. Jephthah messed up big time. Why? Because Jephthah, he didn't think before he spoke. We had, a, a, you know, our, our faith promise over here. We've got our building fund. We've got different other issues. You know, I'm going to serve in the bus ministry. I'm going to be in the nurseries. I'm going to take care of the cleaning. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we make these commitments. And then all of a sudden we go, oh, I didn't realize that it was going to demand so much effort. I didn't understand it was going to take so much time. I didn't realize that I was going to get involved in some other things outside of church after that. I thought I was going to be able to be committed. And now things have just gotten so overwhelming for me. There's just no way I can fulfill my commitment. There's no way I can keep my vow. Really? Hmm. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. That was something that when I was a kid was taught. See, I learned that growing up. Not everybody that's my age has that kind of character to fulfill that. But let me say this. I think that's taught more 30, 40 years ago than it's taught now. And I think that today, it's real easy for us to dismiss our responsibilities, our vows, and our commitments because we have every excuse in the book and we think we have a right to dismiss them. We feel like as soon as something else comes up, then I get the opportunity now. Well, God, obviously, when I made that decision, I wasn't aware that this was going to be a problem. So you understand, God. Well, when thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Wait a second. Last time I checked, God hasn't changed from the time he wrote that to today. The fact is, young people and adults alike, we better be very careful making commitments, making vows that we are not committed to keep. Now, God understands something. If you're in the hospital, there's no way that you can be in church. If you are in the grave, there's no way you can be in church. But you know what? There's a lot of times we're somewhere else other than church or fulfilling our responsibilities as a father, as a mother, as a, as a young man or young lady, or fulfilling our responsibilities as a student or possibly as, a, um, um, as an employee. And we just act as though I don't have any responsibility. It's fine. The weather got a little rough out, so I'm just not going to take care of my responsibility today. Really. That's funny because probably if you and your wife had a gift card for $75 to go to the nicest re- one of the nice restaurants in the local area, you probably would have weathered three inches of snow to take your wife to there and eat since it was free anyway. But we can't get there to fulfill our responsibility because that came up. Man, they had, get this, isn't this amazing? I think it was foolish and stupid personally, but can you imagine the Kent State football team made their way all the way to Buffalo who had five feet or six feet of snow so they could play a stupid football game on Thursday night? 
Now, there's probably some kind of implication with ESPN or some. There's money involved somewhere because you don't risk the lives of young men without it being for money. Something's going on there. But the fact is, why in the world do you drive six hours out of your way, they did, six hours out of their way to be there tonight for a football game when they end up canceling it anyway and they're hoping they can play it tomorrow? Why wouldn't you just say, I'll tell you what, we'll meet you Saturday. We'll see how the weather goes over the next few days. These people are willing to weather the weather for a stupid football game. We make vows to God, and if we're not careful, we'll let every little thing sidetrack us. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep your vows. Jephthah made the mistake of speaking before he thought, and it cost him greatly. It cost him greatly. Think before you speak. That's what we learned from Jephthah. Let me think about Rehoboam. I'm going to have to move quickly here. I may not get through this one. 1 Kings chapter 12. Let's turn there if you would please. 1 Kings chapter 12. Again, what we learn is some basic principles in the Old Testament. That if we can learn from their mistakes, we can avoid the hurt and the heartache that they themselves experienced. Uh, you know, you as parents, like myself, I'm sure, always tried to encourage our children to learn from our mistakes and mistakes of others. I used to tell my kids, there's two ways to learn in this life. Uh, you learn uh, what not to do from people, and you learn what to do. Two ways to learn. You can watch the same situation. There's some things you learn not to do from that situation, and some things you learn to do. And, and so, you know, you, you weigh it out. You, you try to learn from every situation. And unfortunately, most people try to learn, as we used to say, the hard way, the school of hard knocks. You know what? Some of us were stupid enough that we thought that's the only way to learn. We're going to find, we're going to cut our own path through this world. We're going to drive, our, drive through, you know, um, you know, whatever it is to get to where we're going and whatever it costs, whatever it takes, it's going to happen. Yeah, we were stupid. And it cost us. It cost us. Let me tell you something. It don't have to cost you. Everybody that's, uh, let me see all the 12 years old and under stand up tonight. 12 years old and under. I know, I know we're low tonight. I understand that. But stand up if you're 12 and under. Yeah, 12 and under, stand up. Okay, let me, let me talk to you real quick. Hey, look at me now. Look at me. You're 12 years old and younger. Uh, you got a, a mom or a dad that loves you? I know all of you do. Listen to me. You better listen to them. You listen to them. Let them help you. Don't make, don't make mistakes when you can just ask mom and dad how to handle problems. They'll help you. Don't think they're too old. Okay, you listen to them. You let them help you, okay? You'll avoid all the hurt and the heartaches, a lot of the hurt and heartaches that the world has to offer if you'll just listen to mom and dad. Amen. I'm telling you, it's good. It's good. You listen to mom and dad, okay? Don't, don't think you're smarter than them. You're not. You're not. None of you are smarter than your mom and dads. None of you. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't care what your teachers tell you at school. You're not smarter than mom and dad. You're not. You need mom and dad to help you be smart. So you listen to them, okay? Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. Now, everybody else in this room could be in the same boat. Somewhere, somehow, there's somebody that can help us. And for sure, without a doubt, the Lord Jesus Christ is smarter than all of us. So we can definitely learn from him. Rehoboam, 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam, 1 Kings chapter 12. Who's at 1 Kings chapter 12 with their King James Bible? Who will read the first seven verses there? Go ahead, Josh, stand and read that, would you please? You've got to raise your hand. I, I'm, I, I know... I'll get to you, brother. You're next, okay? You're, you're, you're ready. To, you're fired up. I like it. Go ahead. First seven verses. When Rehoboam went to Hebron, all Israel returned to the king 
Brother, read the rest of those up through verse 13, okay? So he took the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and counseled with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel do you that you may answer the people? He has spoken to you, saying, Make the yoke which your father put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spoke unto him, saying, Thou shalt thou speak unto people that spoke unto thee, saying, Thy father made our work heavy, but make it lighter unto us. So say unto them, My days and fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did serve you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. All right, thank you. Now, again, we have this passage, and it is addressing the son of Solomon. Solomon, of course, was the wisest man that ever lived. Granted, Solomon made some mistakes along the way. He really messed up later in his life. He really did. And yet, Rehoboam's his own man now. Rehoboam is not going to be able to go back and say, Daddy messed me all up. Daddy, Daddy was a bad example. Daddy had too many wives, and we know how that turns out. And Daddy had concubines, and my daddy just wasn't the kind of daddy he ought to have been. He was too busy running the kingdom. He left me all to myself. and you know, He can't do that. He's his own man. He's now the king. Matter of fact, Solomon leaves him in charge now of Israel. Now, they called this man by the name of Jeroboam back out of exile, basically. He comes back, and he kind of helps lead the people of Israel. He steps up. He's kind of a, kind of a figurehead, and he brings them to before this now king, Rehoboam, and says, hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to treat us? If you'll treat us fairly, we'll serve you, basically. Well, of course, we know from the conversation that uh, Rehoboam decides to uh, forsake the, the counsel of the elder, and he goes with the counsel of the younger, and before it's over with, the kingdom is split. Now, let's talk about some things. First of all, let's talk about major, uh, making major decisions. First of all, if we're going to make a major decision, we need to pause to pray and consider. Now, um, that's a very important truth. We need to pause to pray and consider. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. I like this uh, lady. I think it's a lady guy. It, doesn't, it looks like a lady. Look at them eyelashes. I used to be indecisive. 
No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I like that. She's making a, a major decision here. She's trying to figure that out. I like that, you know. First, I can't tell if it's a guy or girl. It must be one of those, uh, you know, uh, is it girl, you think? Yeah. I'm just, just wondering. You, know, you never know anymore with the eyelashes and all. But uh, uh, nonetheless, he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it's folly and shame unto him. Uh, don't make any major decisions in the midst of storms in your life. Be real careful with that. You know, when you're feeling a, a, a weight of stress or you're tired, you're emotionally drained, or you're depressed, you're discouraged, that doesn't make for good decision making. If you're going to make major decisions, you need to pause for a moment. You need to slow down a little bit. Don't rush into decisions when you're, str when you're struggling. Uh, again, when, when you're, you're feeling the pressure, the weight of stress, you're tired, you're emotionally drained, uh, maybe you're feeling depressed or discouraged. Let me tell you something. Be very careful. Hey, pause to pray and consider. Number two, seek wise counsel. The Bible says, for by wise, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors there is safety. Now notice it says, it says, and in multitude of counselors. Therefore, more is safer. You know what we like to do? We want to find that one counselor that agrees with us. That's what we want to do. Well, he's a wise man or she's a wise man. Okay, that's fine. Wise in what area? Listen, there's a number of areas in life. I, I, I don't know. I, can, I might find somebody that's extremely wise in the Word of God, but doesn't know a thing about how to handle finances. But I talked to him and he told me to do this. Well, that's good. Why don't you just, why don't you keep an idea? And in a multitude of counselors, more safer. You want to be safe, don't you? I would search out some other people maybe. I'd get a few opinions. I may not just get one. But a lot of times that's self-serving though. I get that one opinion. I know he'll agree with me. I'm going to go get his advice. I know she'll agree with me. Let me go get her advice. Hold on. More is safer. It doesn't mean it's not safe to have at least a counselor, but why not get a few counselors if it's a major decision? Why not, why not if you got parents, listen, if you have parents that are wise, that have proven that they're wise by their actions and their decisions, and their life has proved out to be, you know, turned out for God and for good, man, I'm going I'm to seek their advice. Why not? Why wouldn't I? And maybe you don't have that kind of parent. That, that's okay. That You don't have to to be successful in the Christian life. You have a good heavenly father. Okay? So you're praying to him. You're seeking his advice and wisdom. You're seeking the advice possibly of a parent. You, maybe you have a grandparent that has over and over again proven that they're very solid in their decision making. They're very wise, capable. They're godly even. They have a real heart for the Lord. And they, they're, they're, they're faithful. They're committed. They're consistent. Man, seek their advice. Why not? Why not? That's a good idea. Maybe there's a man or a woman in the church. If you're a man, a man, a woman, or a woman, and that you can seek advice with it that has proven themselves, that appears to really have a handle on their Christian life, their family, their relationships. And you think, man, I've been watching them for years. They're solid. They seem to be consistent. I may just seek their advice. Hey, more is safer. Be careful. Now, you don't have to go to everybody in the world, but it doesn't hurt to have a few counselors to seek the counsel of others. So seek wise counsel, and more is safer. View the matter from every angle possible. View the matter from every angle possible. This guy is. He's got some binoculars on. He's checking it all out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly, looking over the whole situation. View the matter from every angle possible. Most of the time, 
most of the time, when it comes to major decisions, we already know what we want. We know what we want. We know what we want. That doesn't mean that's what God wants. But we know what we want, and therefore, we are quick to make decisions based on a few criteria. Those doors, that door was open. Well, that's good. That's one door. I mean, you really, you made that major of a decision because that one thing, oh, yep, and I've used this before, but yep, the bank said they'd give me a loan up to so much, so God opened the door. Really? You better seek more safer counsel. <laughs> but anyway, uh, view it from every angle. Number four, make the decision in light of present and future outcomes. Make that decision. It's, we're talking about major decisions here. I mean, we're asking, how will this decision affect my life? How would it affect my wife, my family, my church? How would it affect the cause of Christ, the decision I'm going to make? By the way, let me just say this too, and I think it's important that we all understand this. Are we children of God or are we not? Therefore, your life was bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. They're not yours. That also means this. That means that every decision you make is not yours to be made simply based on what's best for your family. I think this is in the best interest of me and my family. Well, la-di-da. Good for you. Too bad the cause of Christ will suffer because you didn't look that far. Too bad the people of God and the house of God will suffer because you didn't look past you and your family. Boy, aren't you a noble man or woman making a decision so selfish that all you think about is you and your family? Well, what about your coworkers? I'm just going to quit that job. Wait a second. Have you been witnessing to your coworkers? Before you make the job, decide, decision to quit your job, you better make sure God wants you to quit your job. Because there may be a soul weighing in the balance over there where you're working. And if you'd have just held on one more month, they'd have come to Christ. But no, all that matters is my comfort. All that matters is me and my family. I'm stressing. I can't deal with stress. You better learn to get with the Lord and figure out how to deal with it then. Because maybe God doesn't want you to leave that place of employment yet. Maybe there's others there that will benefit from it. And listen, I understand this thing. But in our world today, all that matters is me and mine. But the Bible says to think on the things of others, not only yourself. And if we're truly God's children, then that applies to all of us then. It's not just to the pastor. It's not just to the main leaders. It's to all believers. We have to consider others. Consider others. Will this decision be good initially or bad in the long run? Just simply good initially or bad in the long run? Will it be good in the long run? Maybe a little uncomfortable in the onset. We have to look at it. From the perspective of present and future, will it be good now? Will it be good later? Will it be difficult now? Will it be bad later? I mean, think about the future, eternity even. The Bible says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us, uh, worketh us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Do, is that how we view things? That, that's what he said, that's how we as Christians view things. While we look, not at the things which are seen, Paul says, but at the things which are not seen. Is that what we see? The things that aren't seen? Or do we get caught up seeing only those things we can see? Because see, a decision, a major decision can be made very nearsightedly, instead of also farsighted. He goes on to say, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, the implication is that the child of God should be even more aware of the eternal ramifications than the temporal when it comes to their decision-making. That's the reality of it. 
when you and I make major decisions, it ought to be based primarily on how will this affect eternity. My eternity, my position before Christ when I stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, my family, their eternal future, their eternal salvation. How will this affect it? That's the main thing. Now, of course, there are other issues. We understand that. There, there are temporal ones as well. But the major one for a believer is eternal because that's what we focus on. That's what our hope is hang on. Remember this. You make the choice and then the choice makes you. Take responsibility for your decisions. Own it, good or bad. This is important. This is a very important point. We've talked about four aspects of making major decisions. But understand that you must take full responsibility for your decision. Now, th this, is, this is why, ladies, sometimes your husbands pass the buck to you because they don't have to make the decision because they don't have to live with the consequences. Can I, am I allowed to say that? Oh, I'm sorry, gentlemen. But that's why men will do that. Well, honey, uh, you, you just, I, I, okay, if you think that's what, that, that's fine. Because then if it goes bad, he can go, man, you messed it up again. Man, if I'd have decided, see, I knew we shouldn't have done that. And you're going, I tried to get you to step up, but I, what was I going to do? I had, we had to do something. You've never been there. Okay, so anyway, so, but whenever we make, our, make up our mind, responsibility to make our decisions, when we say, I'm taking responsibility for it, soul, I'm owning it, man, it's going to cause us to slow down usually and really consider what, we're, what the decision we're making. Because we know now there's going to be no one to blame but ourselves if it goes bad. And I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and you, don't, you, you don't have to agree with me or the Bible. Gentlemen, never, ever should your wife make the major decisions in your home. Never. Now, she can have input. You certainly need her. If she's a wise woman, you better get her insights. Man, you better. You'd be a fool not to. She's your helpmate. God put her there to, be an assi uh, to assist you, to aid you, to make your life better, make your home stronger, make your, your world better. Man, you, you, you are crazy not to listen to what she has to say and to seek her counsel. Hold on. But in the end, you are the head of the home. We, we like to talk about that part in Ephesians 5. We like to hold that one up. See it? Women, obey your husbands in the Lord. That's children, obey your parents in the Lord. But nonetheless, that's what we like to say. But the women are submit to their husbands. We're to submit to me. You know, we want to we feel that. But do we want to take the responsibility for it? So you ought to make those major decisions. And guess what? When the house goes into foreclosure, guess whose fault it is? Your sir. When you file bankruptcy, guess whose fault it is? Your sir. But my wife, she wasn't able to, she just quit work on me. I didn't have no control of that. Too bad. You made the decision, you live with it. You say, boy, you're hard on the guys. I think our world's too soft on them. And, and, and we're becoming women. And now we've got two women in each home. And why do you think we're having problems with our children today? Because everybody's running the home through them emotions. We're not handling problems like men, fellas, and we need to start making decisions and holding to those decisions and taking full responsibility, right, wrong, or indifferent, too bad. I messed up. You're right, honey. Just get off my back. I'll deal with it. I got us here. I'll get us out of it. 
There you go. I think she'd probably like that, actually. I think most women would. Now, not all would. I can't say that, but most would. See the cat? The dog did it. That's how we are, right? Listen, we always want to pass the buck, right? It's, it's easier. So, I got to hurry. Where did Rehoboam go wrong? First of all, I want you to know Rehoboam was wise to do a few things. He was wise to take three days, the Bible tells us in verse 5, to consider the situation. That was pretty wise of Rehoboam. And they came to him. Remember, they came to him. What are you going to do about this? You're going to, you know, we want you to do this. And if you'll do this, then we'll serve you. And he said, give me three days to think this thing through. Give me some time to consider it. I, I wish he'd have prayed about it. <laughs> I don't think he did, personally. But anyway, uh, he took three days. That was good. He was okay. Now watch this. He was okay with seeking the advice of both the old and the young. I don't, I don't, I don't think biblically there's anything that says that he had no right to, to, to seek the counsel of the young men. That, that wasn't the problem here. Oh, he should have listened to the old men. Okay, he should have listened to the old men. But there's nothing wrong with seeking the advice of young, too. He went to the older men. What do you guys have to say? He went to some of his contemporaries. What do you guys have to say? Where do you think this falls? Okay, God, where do I need to step? Where do I need to the land on this? There wouldn't have been any problem with that. But notice something here. It's very important. He forsook the counsel of the old men before he ever sought the advice of the young. Notice verse 8 real quick. Notice what it says here. It's very important. It says, But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. Now notice, he forsook the counsel of the old men. Notice he already did that, which they had given him and consulted with the young men. It, it does, the, imp, the implication seems to be that he forsook their counsel immediately. He just was like, I'm just going to seek the counsel of my contemporaries. Those, that's the problem here. It wasn't that he was actually seeking advice. It's that he dismissed the advice of the elderly people immediately. He, his mistake was that he did not respect the experience of the old men and he exhibited contempt for them and their counsel. That was his problem. See, Rehoboam's problem wasn't that he sought the counsel of young men. His problem was that he despised the counsel of the elderly men. Matter of fact, he said, I've got these young men in my counsel and in my, my area. You know what the problem was? Jeroboam wanted to be a harsher ruler. And therefore, he grabbed the guys that were in his... Look what it says here. It's so important. He says, he consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. That means that they were already on a payroll. They were already on the payroll. And he's just saying, now, what advice you want to give me? You know where I, what I want you to hear? Just say, come on now. You won't get paid if you don't tell me what I want to hear. He forsook the advice of the elderly, of the old men. Because he didn't respect their experience. He, didn't, he had contempt for them and their counsel. Now watch this. Always give greater weight to experience. Always give greater weight to experience. Now watch this. Experience doesn't mean that someone's going to have the best counsel, though. So it's okay to seek wise counsel. Remember, more is safer. But hold on. You better give a little greater weight to experience. With, you take the track record. If it's proven, then guess what? They deserve your respect. They deserve greater consideration when it comes to advice if they have a good proven track record. Leviticus 19. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Honor the face of the old man. Honor it. Jeroboam did not honor his elders at all. 
Proverbs 16, 31, the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Just because someone's older doesn't mean that they're wise. And it doesn't mean that they understand truth. Listen, if they're walking in the way of righteousness, guess what? It's a crown of glory. That's just years of godly experience waiting to be tapped by a young man or young lady. Hold on now. Here we go. We're closing. This is it. The young man or woman who dis- disrespect the young, excuse me, the young man or woman who disrespects. See, I knew that was wrong when I wrote it. The young man or woman who, anyway, disrespect the elderly and despise their counsel or hold it, hold it in contempt are not wise. When you disrespect elderly people, you, you hold their counsel in contempt, you are not wise. And here's how their feelings may often be characterized by these following statements. Young people say things or think things like this. They've had their time. It's our time now. They've had their time. It's our time now. You show contempt for the elderly. Oh, they're out of touch with reality. They're stuck in the dark ages. Hey, you think that? You're stupid. You think that? You're off your rocker, just like Betty Crocker. If you think that, you got to screw loose. Because you aren't scriptural and you aren't biblical. You are prideful, arrogant, and off the charts, ignorant. The older people like this, they are a burden to both our economy and culture. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine anybody would say that. Oh, that's right. Our government's saying that. But anyway... They're a burden to both our economy and culture. Get ready for the little pill. Now, anyway, they consume much, but contribute little to nothing. You know what our problem is with retirement? All these old people on the system, and we're trying to meet all the needs, and there's just not enough of us. What do they expect us to do? Give all our money up so that they can live comfortable? Oh, nobody's ever said that before. Young men, young ladies, let me tell you something. You're you're on dangerous ground now. In my opinion, you're disrespecting the elderly now. In my opinion, you're despising their counsel. You'd be just like Rehoboam. You people, I'd have no place for you in my my regime. There's nowhere for you old men to, to be anywhere in my courtroom. I don't need you. You're losers. Your day is over. I'm bringing in a new, dawning a new day, a new world. They simply get in the way when it comes to progress, these older people. When it comes to politics and it comes to prosperity, they're just in the way. You're treading on very, very thin ice. Rehoboam's mistake was that he did not respect the experience of the old men, and he exhibited contempt for them in their counsel. That's the problem that Rehoboam had. And you know what? That's an area that we need to be very careful with. Hey, that older guy at work, be careful. Be careful how you treat him. Just be careful. Be, be careful when you see somebody walking around in the cane that can't get around and you're going, you know what? He's probably making more money than I am and he don't deserve it. You don't know what he's been through. You don't know what, what sacrifices he's made for this country. You don't know what, what he's done to deserve what he has. And the fact is, I don't care anyway. One day when you're that age, you'll wish to God that the world treated you with kindness and with some serious respect. The problem is today is we have no respect for the elderly Why? Because we're being taught not to. 
We have no respect for the elderly because most of us don't even have grandparents. Not the kids that are being raised today don't even understand what grandparents are because we're such a separated society. We have people living on opposite ends of the country because of the technology that we have. We don't even know our grandparents. We don't learn to love old people. We don't learn to respect old people and to care about old people because we've never been around them. And our government's certainly not helping with that, nor is our school system. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to get off the bandwagon. But I, I, I really have a problem with Rehoboam. And, and I have a problem because he didn't respect the experience of the old men. And he had contempt for them and their counsel. Boy, I, I pray that us young men here, us young men, <laughs> I, <laughs> I pray that we will have the opposite attitude. Because you know what? If there's anybody older than us, they deserve our respect. And I don't care what anybody tells you, young men and young ladies. If you aren't 18 or over, let's just make it clear, you should never call some older person by their first name. You ought to show respect to their age and, and their old shit. And I know everybody's like, don't call me Mr. So-and-so. Just call me John. Yes, Mr. So-and-so. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Show some respect. Show some respect. We're a little too lax in our culture and our society today. And uh, nonetheless, we better quit. Father, we come to you. And we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had together. Lord, it's uh, gone a little longer than it, I expected. But, Lord, I do pray that you just be with us. Lord, we're not going to take long tonight. We're just going to get right to things. If somebody needs to pray, use the altar. They need to do it now. But, Lord, I just pray, dear God, that you would just encourage us.